The year was 1939 and Hollywood was about ready to release a new motion, motion picture that was embroiled in controversy. The film has since that time gone on to become a classic, but for $500, what was the name of that film and what was that controversy? I'm sorry, what was it? I'm sorry, that's incorrect. You did not phrase it in the form of a question. What is, what, is gone with the, what is gone with the wind? Just about everything in our yard whenever the Santa Ana's kicked up, but, but uh, what is gone with the wind? That is correct. For the bonus points, what was the controversy? <laughs> Excuse me, Howard? Who was that? Howard said that he could give a damn. <laughs> what? Is that what the controversy was? It was, isn't it? Can you, you know what the controversy was? For those who don't know what the controversy was, it was, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. That was in 1939. That was uh, a major controversy in 1939. Nothing's changed since then, huh? <laughs> Not a whole bunch. Boy, you know what really brought, that, uh, really brought it to my attention this past week, or actually it was Thanksgiving, you know, the day after Thanksgiving annual take your kids to the movie day, which I'm just real crazy about crowds. That's why I'd rather stand up here than sit down there. <clears throat> I just kind of hate, I, oh, you know, and you pull up and they've got this line around this movie theater, it just doesn't end. But the good news is we've got two theaters now, so there'll be plenty of seating. Ah, it was a comfort. Anyway, so we went to see the movie. How many of you saw the movie Home Alone? Home Alone. Home Alone. Okay? First five minutes into the movie, there's a little bit of a struggle going on because they're all getting ready and they're going to go to Paris for Christmas vacation and it's real hectic and there's all kinds of things happening and the cousins are over and the aunt and the uncle and it's just a mass confusion type of a getting ready to go on a trip. So one of the nephews has a problem of uh, wetting the bed, they call it. And um, so... The one little kid who is going to be end up, ended up being home alone doesn't want to sleep with this guy, and I can understand why. <laughs> so he's going around, and, and, he, and he's pleading with the rest of his family if they would just allow him to sleep with them instead of with Cousin Nerd or whatever his name was. And uh, so his brother, in just a real charming form, looks at him and says, I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were a lump growing on my ass. This is five minutes into a PG movie that is supposed to be geared for family entertainment. Not much has changed since 1939. Now, does that cause controversy? Does that cause public outcry? It caused so much public outcry that in two weeks that the movie's been out in the theaters, it's grossed over $50 million. That's how much outcry has been created by dialogue like that. So as I was going through it, I was beginning to wrestle with it, and you start to think about things that you normally don't think about. And the other funny thing is that, you know, you hear things with your kids that you don't hear when they're not with you. It's amazing how that works. Isn't that true? You ever go to, you see a movie, say, oh, that was a great movie. Then your kids are sitting next to you and going, oh, bye. I didn't know all this was in that movie. Saw the same movie twice. wonder what the deal was. Then there's a controversy in Florida over a group, I think they're called Two Live Crew. They had an album that was out that wasn't selling. 
And uh, so what the state of Florida decided to do was let everybody know that it wasn't selling. And so they had an obscenity trial. During all the controversy and all the publicity, they end up selling a million copies of an album that no one wanted to buy in the first place. But as soon as you tell somebody they can't do it, they go out and do it just to show you that they really can do it. Public outcry, it's amazing. I wonder how much has changed since 1939. You know, do four-letter words still invoke controversy in film? It's almost at a point where you have to throw them in there just to kind of balance out the movie. So I was reading through, and there was a guy who was a Russian. He was Russian-born. His name is Petrim Sorokin. He was the first professor and chairman of the sociology department at Harvard. And he was quite an astute observer of things that were going on in our day. And he writes this in a book called The American Sex Revolution. And he pulls no punches. He develops a theme, and the theme is very simple. It says, our civilization has become so preoccupied with sex that it now oozes from all pores of American life. And through much grief, he begins to write in his book, and he goes on and he continues to show and explain the describe and, and describes the moral erosion of a nation that was once pure and proud of its stand and, and moral issues. It says, in the last century, much literature is centered on the personalities and adventures of subnormal and abnormal people, such as prostitutes, mistresses, street urchins, and criminals, the mentally and emotionally deranged, and other social derelicts. It says there has been a growing preoccupation with the subsocial sewers, the broken home of disloyal parents and unloved children, the bedroom of a prostitute, a quote, cannery row brothel, a den of criminals, a ward of the insane, a club of dishonest politicians, a street corner gang of teenage delinquents, the office of a huckster, the ostentatious mansion of a cynical business mogul, a hate-laden prison, a quote, streetcar named Desire, a crime-ridden waterfront, the courtroom of a dishonest judge, the jungle of cattle murdering and meatpacking yards. It says these and hundreds of similar scenes are exemplary of a large part of modern Western literature, which has become increasingly a veritable museum of human pathology. It says there has been a parallel transmutation of the experience of love. From the pure and the noble or the tragic, it has progressively devolved. It says the common and prosaic but usually licit sexual love that is portrayed in the literature of the 18th and 19th centuries has in the last 50 years been increasingly displaced by various forms of abnormal, perverse, vulgar, exotic, and even monstrous forms. The sex adventures of, of urbanized cavemen and rapists. The loves of adulterers and fornicators, of masochists and sadists, of prostitutes, mistresses, playboys, and entertainment personalities. He says, juicy loves, quotes, its, its orgasms and libidos are seductively prepared and skillfully served with all the trimmings. He says, designed to excite the fading lust of its readers and thereby increase the sales of these literary sex tonics, much of contemporary Western literature has become Freudian through and through. It is preoccupied with dirt painting of genital, anal, oral, homosexual, and incestuous, quote, unquote, loves. It is absorbed in the literary psychoanalysis of various complexes, the castration, the Oedipus, the, the tetanus, the narcissus, and other pathological forms. It has degraded and denied the great, noble, and joyful, beautiful values of normal married love. When was that written? Last week? A couple years ago? 
close, 1959. 1959. Has much changed since 1959? I mean, in 1959, Ozzie and Harriet were sleeping in twin beds. And even through the early 60s, they were still sleeping in twin beds. Right? Has much changed since 1959? You think it's gotten any worse since 1959? You can go into any video store and rent any gross movie that you want, any X-rated movie that you want. You can just pick it out of a catalog. And if you don't want to be caught embarrassed doing it in public, you can just have it brought into your TV sets through cable television. You can go to a hotel movie. You can do the same, hotels and do the same thing. You can rent any movie that you want. And you can be shown in the privacy of your own viewing so that nobody knows exactly what you got going on. Has it gotten any worse? Is it more accessible than it's ever been? Problem is, it's not just where you have to do that. You just turn on the television. I love an article that I read just recently. I'll just give you a little excerpt of it because obviously I'm building a case for something. But it's an American Family Association journal just in its November-December magazine. An article by Don Feeder, he writes this. If television glorifies mindless violence, it also condones casual sex. Since HBO airs an ad for its, quote, sexy new adult comedy series, which has a boy of eight or nine asking his father if he masturbates. Last week, pay television ran no fewer than 50 R or PG rated movies at times when young children were most likely to tune in, and that's 8 o'clock in the evening or earlier in the day. The movie channel showed five R rated films during mornings and early afternoons. Network television is only slightly better. The American Family Association did a survey which showed that 77% of all allusions to intercourse on network television involved sex outside of marriage. 77%. Says the message of primetime television is very simple. It's this. Fornicate carefully. Fornicate responsibly. Fornicate when you decide it's the right time, dear. When TV parents or other role models discuss, discuss sex with their children, their advice invariably revolves around the need to practice birth control. You'll never hear a primetime parent urge his offspring to remain chaste until marriage or warn of the psychological or physical dangers of premarital sex. Television promotes promiscuity. It abets the most egregious types of sexual stupidity among our youth. Well, I'll tell you what. I know we've, we've gone a, a long way from 1939. And I know we've gone a long way from 1959. And that's not to say that before 1939 that our country was pure as a, as a driven snow, because it certainly wasn't. It had its share of problems before that. But there has never been a time in the history of our country where there is an absolute non-embarrassment and open defiance of moral standards to where people aren't even embarrassed in the slight about what they stand for or don't stand for in the area of sexual morality or immorality. It's an unabashed brashness that never occurred before. Before there was a slight embarrassment if somebody got caught. Now it's, hey, you know what? I'm not hurting anybody. Who cares? I, we need God's help in this area. We really do. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And until we're confronted with what God has to say about it, I'm afraid that, you know what, we're just going to buy into everything that we're bombarded with on a constant basis. If you turn on the television, 75% of what you're hearing is you can have sex outside of marriage and it's not that big a deal. What do you think your kids are hearing? 
And what is being done to combat that amount of attention that it's given? Not much. Schools do the same thing. Birth control, safe sex, how to do it. Not abstinence, but how to do it right. How to protect yourself. And we kind of walk away from it. We need God's help. And there's a powerful, potent, biblical passage that deals with this whole area. And we'll take a look at it and just go through it. But it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The truth of the matter is that we really do. We need God's help in dealing with this area. Because it is a powerful area of the human life. How do we deal with it? How do we control it? What do we do about it? 1 Thessalonians, look at chapter 4. <clears throat> Let's start with verse 1. Paul kind of summarizing everything that he's been saying up to this point. says, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. As we go through this, we've been talking about a series on pleasing God, and one of the things that we cannot get away from is that a pure lifestyle, purity, pleases God. Purity pleases God. Let's just bow for prayer. Our Father, we just pray that You'll give us Your knowledge through Your Word as to how to deal with an area that we're bombarded with that is so contrary to everything that we're about to look into. We're getting it from all sides. We're getting it from all angles, directions. We're getting it in various forms, some blatant, some subtle, some just a, a elusive enough that we're not really sure how to put our finger on it. But God, you tell us that it's your will that we abstain from sexual immorality. You tell us that it's your will that we remain pure and set apart. Father, we need your help. We need the power of your Holy Spirit within the lives of all of us who have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We need his power to be uh, a controlling factor as we struggle in a day-to-day -day environment that promotes sexual promiscuity, that promotes sexual immorality. God, help us to realize what you're saying and to leave here challenged and changed in an area that we may not be pleasing to you. And we just thank you as always, and we look forward to the results as we submit to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, it's as we've been going through the series that we've entitled uh, Pleasing God, that it was inevitable that we would come to a point in Scripture and a, and a particular time that we would have to deal with the area of sexual immorality. 
it's an area that is of great concern to God, and the Word of God spends a lot of time letting us know the problems that we run into as we're disobedient in this particular area. There's no other area in pleasing God that you'll experience the consequences like that of sexual immorality. We've gone through and we've seen how exalting the name of Jesus Christ pleases God to give God the credit for who we are and what we've become in this life. And not doing so, we miss a lot of blessings, but God never tells us that the consequences are as severe as they are in this area. We've gone through and we've seen how giving pleases God and that we need to be generous in the resources that God has blessed us with. And he talks about some of the, the benefits of doing so and even some of the consequences, but none of the consequences are as severe and grievous as they are in this area of sexual immorality. And so as we go through this and we're seeing why we should please God and how we can please God, it's inevitable in a society that is bent on pleasing itself that we have to come face to face with a very difficult issue. And the issue is that of sexual immorality. We live in a hedonistic society and what that means in simple English is that we have been told and convinced that we are here for one reason and that is to please ourselves. Hedonism at its, at its root form is, is, is uh, saying to yourself as you look in the mirror, you know what, I am here for one purpose, and that is to please me. If my spouse doesn't meet my needs, then fine, someone else will. And as long as I don't intend to hurt anybody through it, I mean, what harm can there be in doing it my way? See, hedonism tells us that we're supposed to be here for only one reason, that's to please ourselves. Epicureanism tells us that tomorrow we'll die, so let's eat, drink, and be merry today. Let's have a blast today. If you want to enjoy yourself in the area of sexuality, why not enjoy yourself today? If your marital partner isn't into the things that you are, then that's okay. Then find some means to be able to relieve that particular area of your life. After all, you're not trying to hurt anybody, the logic goes, so go ahead and do it. And if you do do it, be careful how you do it. Be courteous, you know, wear a condom or let people know, have a regular blood test or whatever it is you're supposed to do to be courteous to be able to meet those needs. So as we go through this, it's, it's not uh, by any coincidence that we have to deal with it because according to the new morality of the 60s, it's okay to have sex with someone other than your marital partner as long as you're both willing. That seems to be the key. Are you willing? Yeah. Are you both healthy? Okay, then what's the big deal? It's kind of like a clip that they advertised on TV. I never saw the movie, but I saw the clip, and I can't remember the name of the film, but I think it was Robert De Niro. That he was running somewhere or whatever in the clip of the movie that they show, and you know, and they show the movies during the news so that everybody, you know, it's like, what's the big deal about, you know, when certain things are to be shown on TV? I saw some advertisements for the news last week because of the sweeps week or the ratings week. They show more garbage in that week to try to attract attention than any other time during the year. But you show people making soap operas and they're taking their clothes off during the news brief to kind of promo, promote what they're going to show at 11 o'clock as if, you know, there's no one there at 5 and 6 and 4 to watch this stuff. I thought, gee whiz, you know, what's the deal here? But anyway, so there was a movie. Robert De Niro was, he, he was, he was in a confessional. He was in a Catholic church. He was in a confessional, and he went to hide in the confessional. So he was hiding in there where the priest usually sits, and a guy came in to the confessional. And he opens the door, and he sits down, and Robert De Niro doesn't know what's going on, and the guy starts his routine, you know, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned, blah, 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 blah. And Robert De Niro goes, uh, what is it? He goes, well, I just want to, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but, but um, um, I've been having an affair. And Robert De Niro goes, okay, so? 
He goes, well, it's been going on for a long time, and I'm really feeling bad about it, and I just need to confess it. And Robert De Niro says, uh, well, does anybody know about it? He says, no, I don't think so. He said, has your wife found out about it? And he said, no. He goes, I don't understand. What's the problem? See, now you don't laugh now, but you're watching the TV clip, you laugh then. See, it's funny then. But it's not funny when it's brought to your attention in front of a lot of other people. So as we go through this, you know, it's kind of like, well, what's the big deal? Nobody knows. No one found out. So what's the problem? Interesting. See, if we're to bring pleasure to God, we need to find out what God has to say in this particular area. We really do. Because, see, he's been excluded from this whole equation as we listen to all the bombardment in our society. It doesn't matter what God says anymore. It's what the, uh, the Surgeon General says. That's really important. It's, um, it's what the Educational Department says. That's really important. You know, it's what a few um, bleeding heart liberals from the ACLU will say and promote and fight in court. That's really the problem. No one wants to take a stand against them because they've got an arsenal that'll kill anybody that wants to take a stand on moral issues. So it's what they have to say that really is important in our society because money talks. But the problem is God's got a louder voice than any of them. If I read my Bible right, he splits the cedars of Lebanon when he whispers. So we need to hear what he has to say. And in this particular area, we see that purity pleases God. And what we're going to do is there's five things that we need to consider. We'll take a look at a couple of them today, and we'll look at the rest of them next week. But there's five things that we must consider in this area of sexual immorality. And that is, a, if you want to please God, then it's very simple. And it goes something like this. You want to please God? Then refrain from sexual immorality. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You want to please Him? Then just don't do it. See, first, in order to please God, I'm commanded to abstain from sexual immorality. And that's quite clear from the passage that we just looked at. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, says, for it is, it is the will of God. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Boy, you know what amazes me, and, I, you know, and it just is, is incredible when you stop and think about it, but there are so many of us who are so into what is God's will for my life. We want to find something that's hidden. You know, we want to find that mystery of God for my life. And the obvious things we just blow by as if somehow they don't mean anything because they're too easy to understand. It says, you know what the will of God is for your life? You abstain from sexual immorality. There's one you can't get around. That's as clear as it can be. That's God's will. That you what? That you be sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Separated. Set apart. From what? Huh? From sexual immorality. But let me tell you something. It goes a little further than that. He's saying that, you know what? You're going to have to be set apart from a world that is dedicated on pleasing itself sensually. Saying you're going to stand out. If you're a young kid in school, you're going to stand out. You're going to be the one or two virgins that are left in the junior and senior class in high school. You're going to be separated. You're going to have a stigmatism applied to your life. You're going to be pointed to and whispered about. But you're going to have something that they lost and they can never get back. But you're going to be out there all by yourself. 
You're going to be out there by yourself. See, and you know what? God knows that. He says, it's my will that you're out there by yourself. That you're separated, that you're sanctified, that you're set apart from the masses of people who are into sexually pleasing their self. You are going to be a weird duck. But you're going to be my duck. That's what he's saying. It's God's will. That you should learn to avoid sexual immorality. The good news is this. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says at that moment in time, the living God takes up residence in your life. You're a new creature in the eyes of God. Everything behind you is forgotten. All the things in front of you become new. That's the day that you put your faith and trust in Christ. Salvation, according to the Bible, happens in that instant in time. But you know something? Are you still going to struggle with some of the things that you used to do? You better believe it. And anybody that tells you otherwise doesn't read their Bible real well. You're a new person in the, face, in the sight of God. But you've still got an old body that's used to doing a lot of things that it's done for a long time and has gotten quite good at, frankly. And so what you struggle with is that now you've got a different spirit, but you've got a mind and a body that's still corrupt. So the problem that you have is you've got to learn to avoid sexual immorality. It doesn't go away when you become a Christian. Otherwise, it'd be real simple. If you're a Christian, you'd never fall into sexual immorality, right? That'd be the way the logic goes. If it goes away when you're a Christian, you'd never fall into sexual sin again. Problem is that I know a lot of Christians, and so do you, who have fallen into sexual sin. So when they fall into sexual sin, we begin to, we begin to question, they must not be Christians. Why? Because they fell into sexual sin. So what? Doesn't mean they're not Christians. Doesn't mean they haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. But it does mean this. They haven't learned something that they need to learn. It's a learning process. Becoming a Christian happens in an instant in time. Becoming Christ's life is a lifelong process and isn't realized till we see Him face to face. We are learning and we are growing. And we need to give each other room to learn and grow and to help one another learn and grow. I talked to Gordon McDonald last fall. Gordon McDonald was the president of InterVarsity. Gordon McDonald was uh, with the Navigators for many years. He's written some great books. And... Um, he was there to share his testimony. Gordon McDonald fell into sexual immorality. He committed adultery with his secretary and was doing so for about six months. A godly man who loves the Lord with all his heart. He was there and he shared how it happened. He said, you know, there was one area in my life that I said I'd never fallen and that was in the area of sexual immorality. That was an area that I had a handle on, man. It would never happen to me. Never. That's what Peter said. Peter said, I'd never deny you. Not me. That's one area, Lord, I'll never fail and I'll never deny you, baby. I'll stand before men. I'll go to my death for you, babe. That's one thing I'll never do. Everyone else can run and hide. I'm not running. I'll be right there. You wait and you see. He said, really? Is that right? That's the area you're not going to fall in? Let me tell you something. 1 Corinthians 10 says this in verse 12. Therefore, you better take, take heed lest you fall. Every one of us are vulnerable to fall sexually. Read the word what it says. So this is something that's applicable to everybody that's listening. You think you're above this? You think you're immune to this? You think it can't happen to you? Huh. <laughs> then it, just wait. 
Because it will. And the whole purpose is so that you understand that we need to learn to avoid sexual immorality. And the purpose of it is so that each of you should learn to control his own body. See, we need to learn, okay, what do I do with this body now? How do I control it in a way that will be pure or holy and honorable to God? What am I doing with this body that God says is not pleasing to Him? I need to stop doing those things. I need to learn how to stop doing those things. I need to learn how to be separate. I need to learn. How do you learn? From knowledge. Where do you get the knowledge? The Word of God. How do you learn how to apply it? Asking God for wisdom. See, this all builds upon, every one of these things we're doing builds upon the previous week. To the degree that you get knowledge from the Word of God, God's Word will teach us how to learn how to control our body. We may not understand how to make the application, so we ask of God wisdom to make the application or the right use of knowledge, and God says He gives it generously and above reproach. He'll never criticize you for it because He knows you need it. So you want to know how to avoid sexual immorality? Get knowledge from the Word of God and then ask God for wisdom on how to get out of situations or stay out of situations that will lead to sexual sin. And it's amazing what Gordon was saying. He said, you know, I saw all the warning signals. I read them all. I knew them all. I, I, I knew what they were. But as I was going through, it was like my head was in a cloud. And I just don't know what happened. I don't know what, how it all took place. I mean, I look back on it, and I, just, I still to this day can't understand how it happened to me. But I know it because I saw it progressively happen. I saw the warning signals. I avoided, and I ignored every one of them, and I knew what path I was going down, and I was in deep trouble before I knew it. See, the Bible says that we need to refrain from sexual immorality. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, and then in verse 10 it says, But among you... Among you, talking about us, those who put their faith and trust in Christ. It says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Don't even, don't even give a hint of it. Not a hint. It says, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy, set-apart, sanctified people. It says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And in verse 10 it goes on and says, and you know what? And find out what pleases the Lord. Find it out. Check it out. Man, you know what? One of the things I was convicted about when I first became a Christian, it's only been 12 years, but one of the things that this God nailed me right away on was in filthy talk and coarse joking and gestures and, and just that whole arena of life that I had found myself in the middle of. Laughing at dirty jokes, telling dirty jokes, sharing dirty jokes, living to hear the next one to tell somebody else, um, uh, swearing, coarse gesturing, and it has to do with everything has a sexual innuendo to it. You ever watch the talk shows and, and, and uh, everything has a little sexual innuendo to it. Everything's a little pun toward the sexuality of, of God's creation. And that's what it says, that among Christians, we shouldn't, we shouldn't fall to that. We shouldn't be, everything's not an implication or everything's not an inference to something sexual. But for many of us it is. And he's saying, among God's people, you're separated. You're different from the rest of the world. Don't do it. Don't participate in the jokes. Don't use the language. Don't tell the stories. Don't participate. Don't even listen to them. You hear them turn and walk away from it. And in construction, man, I'll tell you what, I've got to walk away a lot of times. A lot of times. But you know, there are jokes that I heard when I was growing up that to this day I still remember. And I ask God to 
just to cleanse my mind so I don't, I don't, I don't remember them anymore. But they're there. Our mind's like a VCR, man. It just, it, it, it just attracts it and it's there. So what he's saying is that, you know what? Among God's people, we need to be separate. We need to refrain from sexual immorality. We need to uh, be set apart. You know, an interesting thing in, 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 is what causes it? You know, what causes sexual immorality? You know, what causes... I guess the problem is that we need, first of all, to understand what's condemned by God. Because this will make it more personal. Let me just give you a list of some things that I went through and jotted down that are condemned by God, okay? Now, the first ones, and, we'll, and, and they have the little square next to it. These ones in Scripture, these, sex, these acts of sexual immorality that were condemned by God had with it as a consequence the death sentence. Man, I don't know about you, but I think that it still would work. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? And I know people who have had situations where they've gone through uh, and had to deal with adultery in a family that I know that the one spouse who was a victim of the other spouse's adulterous relationship with someone else would vote to bring it back. You hear what I'm saying? And it would work. Don't tell me that the death penalty is not a deterrent to crime. I ain't seen any dead person ever have another affair. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, you know, man, I'll tell you what, it would certainly change our attitude towards sexual immorality in this country. Man, could you imagine in a moment that a person who was caught in adultery was stoned, just killed? Man, I don't know, if you're thinking about doing it, she or he got to be really worth the consideration. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? There's going to be a lot of people spend a lot of time taking showers and, uh, in, a, in a drought environment. But incest, incest, adultery, incest, having sex with family members, bestiality, having sex with animals, were all considered worthy of the death penalty. Homosexuality. Now, this is interesting, a sex with an engaged virgin, because the Jews had looked at, if you were engaged, it was just like being married, so it was no different than adultery. So, sex with an engaged virgin, virgin or sex by an engaged virgin that was discovered after the marriage actually took place. So, all of these things, according to Scripture, were worthy of the death penalty. Now, the reason I throw these back out to you is so that we can have a, maybe a little clearer understanding of what God says is wrong and is still wrong. So then he goes through, and, and there are, here are a couple other ones that had other penalties. It wasn't death, but it had to do with monetary um, compensation. Sex with an adult virgin or sex with a pre-adult virgin, which means any type of sex that took place between single people outside of, um, outside of the engagement or the marriage process. It was just sex among single people. If you had a daughter and somebody had sex with her, then he was required, the person who violated her and stole her virginity, he was required to pay the parents a bounty for what he did and then was required to marry her as well interesting I know a lot of young guys man if they had to come up with you know twenty or thirty thousand bucks for their three minutes of excitement that uh, probably would consider not doing it you know what I mean and then the last two were it's, it's uh, in the New Testament talks about mental adultery and immoral talking or jokes there are no specific consequences, but there are consequences, and uh, God says very clearly that those things are wrong. So all of these things are still condemned by God. Now, the reason that I wanted you to see that in black and white, so to speak, is so that you can ask yourself some questions. 
And the questions would be very simple. Now that it's a little more comprehensible what causes someone, I guess what the problems are, let me ask you a question. What causes someone to commit adultery? What causes someone to commit incest? What causes someone to have sex with an animal? Or to have sex with someone of their own sex? What causes that? Huh? What causes it? Last week I was sitting with a friend and we were having dinner and we were talking about this. He's a single guy. He was just talking about all the pressures that, that are out there for a single person in the position that he happens to be in um, in the area of sexual immorality. So he was going through and he said, you know, man, you know, what, what causes this? He said, don't you think it's worse today than it's ever been? Don't you think it's harder for me as a single guy today to abstain from sexual immorality as it was for people 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, 500, 700, 1,200 years ago? He said, don't you think so? And I said, well, why? Why do you think it is? And he said, well, just, just so pr it's promoted. I mean, it's in the movies, magazines, you know, that are available, that you can buy, pornographic magazines that you can buy, the movies. Um, the availability of young women who are available to have sex with them, which was rather fascinating. Because I don't know, I mean, we all come from a little different generation, but even when I was growing up, there were always like, you know, you always knew who the two or three gals were that everybody wanted to date, but certainly no one would ever want to marry, you know. There was always a handful that you always knew who they were. And they kind of stood out of the crowd. They were separated, set aside, set apart. And we knew who they were. Maybe you did too. Today, try to pick them out. Try to pick them out. So maybe he had a point. So he's going through it, you know, just the accessibility to all of that, you know. And it was interesting. Because I said, you know what, it's interesting. While all of that may contribute to the problem, the Bible never says that that is the cause. It never says that that's the cause of sexual immorality. Isn't that fascinating? It's because here's what you've got to ask yourself. Why is a person a homosexual? Is it their environment? Is it the availability? Is it the accessibility? Is it the media attention? Is it the media saying that it's an alternative lifestyle now? Is it, is it, is it that's what's causing it? Is that really what's causing it? The more people that say it's okay, the more homosexuals there'll be then? Is that what's causing it? What causes someone to have an affair? To commit adultery? What causes this? Man, you know, and you go through it and you're really struggling with it. And the, and the thing is, we need to recognize what causes it because if you don't, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with it. We need to know what causes it. And we also need to know what causes it so we can deal with people who are struggling in that area in their life. Because if you believe it's the environment, and if you believe it's movies, and it's pornographic material, and if you believe it's all of those things, then you're going to deal with that person differently than if you believe it is what the Bible says it is. We need to recognize, for the purpose of dealing with sexual immorality, we need to recognize the cause of sexual immorality. We need to recognize it. And it's fascinating as we go through it. In order to deal with it, you've got to recognize it. You know what the cause is? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's pretty simple. But that's the cause. 
Mark 7, 20 through 23, Jesus was addressing the question. And that'd be like sitting there with my friend who's asking me, hey, you know what, what really causes sexual immorality? What's the root problem? Jesus said, what comes out of a man, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these things come from inside and make a man unclean. What's the cause? What's the cause? The heart. It's the heart. It's not the environment. It's not videos. It's not magazines. It's not any of that. It's the heart. The heart of man. See, when you start to understand that, and we don't get hung up on what's going on, let me ask you a question. And the question that I asked him, I said, if you think it's all of those things that are causing it, videos, X-rated movies, pornographic material, then what was the problem in Sodom and Gomorrah? What was the problem? What was the problem with David and Bathsheba? That's what it was. David was up late one night watching the Playboy channel. He was watching it. It was late. He started to watch it. He started to get excited about it. He started pacing back and forth, wondering what he could do about it. He looked out the window. There was Bathsheba taking a bath. Did they name her after she took the bath or before? <laughs> kind of stuff bothers me. You know what I mean? Good thing she wasn't taking a shower. And there was Shower Sheba. You know? What was the problem? Maybe that's what it was. What's the deal? Look with me for a second in Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Oh, we're running out of time. Genesis chapter 6. We'll just look at this one. And we'll go through it. I wonder what the problem was in Thessalonica when Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. I wonder what the problem was in Corinth where they had the, the Acro-Corinth, the highest point where the temple of Aphrodite was built up on the hill and a thousand prostitutes lived there. What the problem was there? I wonder what the problem was in Genesis chapter 6 where it says in verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. And then in chapter 8, after you go through the flood, it says in verse 20, that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And it says, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. See that? The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. David said that he was conceived in sin, 
And he said to God, create a meal, God, a clean heart. Jeremiah said that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else, and who can understand it but God himself? We need to get to the root problem, people, and it's very simple. The area of sexual immorality is caused by nothing more than a heart condition of man. We are born with sin, a sin nature. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. And when you're sharing with someone who's a homosexual, and they get off on all the environmental things and all the reasons and the causes, and you share with somebody who's committing adultery, and they get off on all the reasons why this is happening, and their spouse isn't meeting their physical needs, and all of that kind of stuff. And well, it may be true, and it may contribute to the problem, but the reason that we sin sexually is because we simply choose to do it. It's not my mother's problem, it's not my father's problem, it's not my brother's problem, it's not my uncle's problem who introduced me to pornographic material or whatever it is. It's not Joe, Harry, Fred, Sally, Mary, anybody else's problem. The reason that you and I enter into sexual immorality is because it's our problem. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. And it needs to be dealt with. And just because a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ does not mean immediately sexual desires are going to go away in their life. It will be a struggle all of your life. It will be a struggle, severe struggle, at certain points in your life, certain seasons of your life. When a man and a woman are having a baby for the first time, they're going to have a struggle in that area. The guy's going to go crazy. It's just the way it is. When a woman goes through menopause and is having problems later in life, the man will go crazy again, but that's just the way that it is. And it's not an excuse to do what you want to do in the area of physical needs. God, help us to see you and I commit sexual sin because we choose simply to do it. We have bought into a hedonistic culture that says, you got needs, get them met. She can't meet them, he can't meet them, find someone that can. It's not environment. It's not culture, it's not movies, it's not magazines, it's none of those things. Although they contribute and they hurt, the, eyes, the lust of the eyes contributes to the problem. But you can't write it off on that. It happens because we're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. We're saved by grace and faith through Jesus Christ. You want to deal with sexual immorality? We'll talk about it next week and some of the consequences to it as well but you've got to struggle with it now, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll, we'll close on this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see a very simple answer, but it doesn't make it, it, doesn't make it any easier to live it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's argument was very simple at the end of this text. He says this, Consequently, he who rejects this, he rejects the fact that God has set us apart, that wants us to abstain from sexual immorality and continues to live in sexual immorality and continues to do so. He says this, you're not rejecting, this is not rejecting man. He didn't make this up. I didn't make this up. I'm just sharing what God has ordained from the foundations of the world. And that is this, you're not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And what he's saying is, you're rejecting the power of the Holy Spirit within your life the God of the universe and His awesome powers available to you to conquer any sin that is hindering your walk in obedience with Christ. He's saying that God has given you help and all you need to do is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you don't want to walk in sexual immorality, then be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ask God to create in you a clean heart.
and he'll do it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your words, again, for the knowledge that you give us, and in a very difficult, a very sensitive, but in a very powerful area of our testimony before a world that we live in. A world that needs to know that it's sin nature that causes sin. We sin because we're sinners, and we're not sinners because we sin. You tell us that we're created from our youth, that we're conceived in sin, and we come into this world with a sin nature bent toward rebellion against you. God, help us to share that with others as they struggle with areas of sexual immorality. Help them to see that the answer is Jesus Christ. That if they turn to Him and they put their faith and trust in Him and His redeeming work upon the cross, that the power of the Holy Spirit and His presence within the life of every believer will give you the power that they need to be free from sexual immorality. Father, help us to see that it is your will in this area that we live to please you, and we do so by abstaining from sexual immorality. And we just thank you that you know we can't do it on our own. We need to learn it, and we need your power within us to be able to walk from it. And we thank you for the freedom from bondage that you give us as we obey you in this area of our life as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.